All right, so we want to we conclude today our discussion of the second head of doctrine in the Canons of Dort. Um, who can tell me what the second head of doctrine is about? This is not good as we're wrapping it up. So. Okay, yep. What, what's the simple way we usually talk about that? Limited atonement? Or particular redemption? Or a definite atonement? Good. So we said that in each of the heads of doctrine in the Canons of Dort, there are articles that particularly talk about the doctrine itself. Um, and this is uh, Article 8 of the second head of doctrine um, is the one that talks about particularly what we mean when we talk about limited atonement or definite atonement. Um, the saving effectiveness of Christ's death, as we say in, in Article 8. So it's on, on page 268 of the Forms and Prayers book, or 904 in the back of the hymnal. But we're going to look at the second head of doctrine, Article 8, um, <clears throat> and think about the saving effectiveness of Christ's death. Um, and so we read there, for it was the entirely free plan and very gracious will and intention of God the Father that the enlivening and saving effectiveness of his son's costly death should work itself out in all his chosen ones in order that he might grant justifying faith to them only and thereby lead them without fail to salvation. In other words, it was God's will that Christ through the blood of the cross by which he confirmed the new covenant should effectively redeem from every people, tribe, nation, and language all those and only those who were chosen from eternity to salvation and given to him by the Father. That he should grant them faith, which like the Holy Spirit's other saving gifts, he acquired for them by his death. And that he should cleanse them by his blood from all their sins, both original and actual, whether committed before or after their coming to faith that he should faithfully preserve them to the very end and that he should finally present them to himself a glorious people without spot or wrinkle. Um, so the, the effectiveness of the death of Christ is what we're, we're talking about um, and we see a number of really important things there. But above all, we want to say, where do we see that in Scripture? How do we see these things uh, playing out in Scripture? We read Matthew 20, verses 26 through 28, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Right? He gave his life as a ransom for many. Um, or John 10, 14, and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Okay? Um, or John eleven forty five 45 through 52. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen and had seen what he did, believed in him. But many of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this... Everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, that the, not that the whole nation should perish. 
He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. Um, All of those talk about those for whom Christ died. Um, And we see that over and over again in Scripture. uh, That Christ died for a certain people that were known to him, that were given to him by the Father. Um, Those are the the ones for whom he died. Um, And we see that this article makes a close connection between God's electing work and God's saving work. Um, You you might have noticed that a few times in in Article 8, talking about those who've been chosen by God. So it begins, For it was the entirely free plan and very gracious will and intention of God the Father that the enlivening, enlivening and saving effectiveness of his son's costly death should work itself out in all his chosen ones. Um, so there were those who were chosen for salvation. Who are God's elect. And that in time and history, Christ came to save those who were chosen for salvation by the Father from all eternity. Uh, That's what Christ comes to do to to save them, to grant justifying faith in them and thereby to lead them without fail to salvation. Um, So the effectiveness of Christ's death brings us all the way through to salvation. Um, And disconnecting election and salvation would make little sense, right? If God chose a certain people but didn't bring them to salvation, then what was he choosing them for exactly? Um, how did he choose them to be his own and then not save them? The, the two run together. Um, God chooses a people. We're told in the scripture that the father gives that people to the son to redeem. And then the son comes in the world and redeems that people. He, he saves them. And what the article is pressing on us is that the death of Christ really is effective for saving people. Not just for making salvation possible. Not just for starting us on the road to salvation not for beginning something that may not come to completion, but to really save and to save to the uttermost. Um, That that is always how the scriptures have connected God's electing work with God's work in history to save. Um, Think about Ephesians 1. If we read through Ephesians 1, Paul has no trouble connecting God's electing work to God's saving work in Christ. Um, So well-known words from Ephesians 1, 3 to 10. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Okay, so there you have election. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And why did he choose us? Um, That we should be holy and blameless before him. that, That is the act of salvation. making us holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We have redemption, we have forgiveness. He came to make us holy and blameless, right? All, All the gifts of salvation, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, 
to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. There was a plan in eternity to be carried out in the fullness of time. Now, Paul will return to that in another letter, right, that idea. Um, He'll say in Galatians that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so they might have adoption as sons. And if you've received adoption, then you can cry out to God, Abba, Father, and he who is a son is no longer a slave but an heir. You see how he brings it all the way through again, the plan of redemption to come in time. So God chooses people for salvation and then he saves them. You, you don't get anywhere by disconnecting these two ideas. Um, those he chooses to save, he does save. That, that sort of makes abundant sense. That's the clear reading of Ephesians, right? Um, it's not that hard. That's, that's the, the purpose for which God chooses a people is for their salvation. And Christ came to die for that chosen people. Um, and, and that's what he, he says over and over again in his ministry. We read, we read some of those passages, but Christ said, I came to die for many. Um, I came to die for my sheep, he says in John 10. I came to die for my friends. Right? I came to die for my people. Um, I came die, to die for the children of God that are scattered abroad. Um, I came to die for the church. Um, the scriptures are clear about for whom Christ died, and all of those show that he died for a particular people. Um, now there are passages, to be sure, that make it sound like he didn't die for a particular people, that he died for the whole world. Um, and we're, we're going to talk about those, Lord willing, next time. Some of those passages that seem to teach universalism. And I would say there's an explanation for all of those passages that makes abundant sense, but it's very hard if you believe in some kind of universalism to make sense of why does Jesus say he dies for many? Many is not all, right? Um, why, all those, why all of those particular things? My people, my sheep, my friends. Um, and so we, yeah, there are passages that make it sound universal, but the other passages don't make any sense um, if that's what's true. And that's why we're trying to get at those who, we're not, we're not trying to limit the atonement in any other way than to say, God chose a people and Jesus came to die for his chosen ones. Now, people say, well, that, that sounds unfair because what if I'm not one of the chosen ones? Well, I don't know if you're one of the chosen ones or not. I can't help you with that. But what I can say is in the name of God, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Right? Again, we're talking about eternal realities that are known to the Father and the Son and that are known in a certain sense to us, but not known in fullness. I can say Jesus died for his people. I can't tell you who all his people are. I don't presume to do that. Um, But what I know he did say was that all of his people hear his voice and follow him. Right, And so we, we always have to make clear, what, I, what we're talking about is what Scripture testifies is true. It doesn't necessarily mean that then I can go out and identify who the many are. Or I could say, you know, we're going to put all of you who are his people on this side and all of you who aren't on this side, and then I get up and start moving people around. If I do that, see to it that some of the elders here fire me. Um, because you can't do that. We don't have that knowledge. We know that God has that knowledge. And it's one of the things that comforts us to know that Jesus came into the world to save sinners and not just sinners broadly, but you in particular if you believe in him. 
Um, it's a tremendous comfort for us to know that we were on the Father's mind in eternity. And that he sent his son to redeem us. And when he came into the world, he came in the world for the purpose of saving you. Right? It's a comfort to know he came to save the world because we're part of the world. Um, but it's much more comforting to know that he came to save us. That call comes to us on a personal level to believe him and to follow him. And we can be assured that that call is true for us. And that makes all the difference, right? Jesus is a savior is something true. Jesus is my savior um, is something that saves me, right, to know that. Um, and that's, you know, I've told the story, I think, of John Wesley. That was his experience. An evangelist was talking to him and said, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And he said, I know Jesus is the Savior of the world. And the guy, being a smart evangelist, says, that's not what I asked you. Yes, he's the Savior of the world. Is he your Savior? See, that's, that's where it makes all the difference, right? Um, is he my Savior? That's the crucial question that every individual has to be able, has to, be able to answer. Um, um, and that's why, you know, our, 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 our documents looking at, at the God's word, our creeds and confessions celebrate that fact that I can be sure that not only for, not only for others, but I too have had my sins forgiven me, right? That, that God's grace is not just for other people, it's for me. Um, and that's what we're, that's what we're bringing to the world. That's the message we bring to the world. This is the reality Christ came to make to make true. And the, the, the canons of Dora are so helpful because they don't want us to make any wrong assumptions on what Christ does and what he leaves undone. Um, that, that's the way they push through what it means to be saved so that at no point we assume that we can fall out of this chain of salvation. Because there's always been a, the, the, the reason they string it out the way they do is because there's always been an inclination on our parts to say, Jesus does this much, and then the rest is my work, and that's where it can fall off the rails. Right? Because if, if Jesus can't get me all the way to the station, if he can't bring me all the way home, then there's always a chance that I will do something to derail this whole process. And notice how the canon of Dort want to understand what the effectiveness of Christ's saving work is for his people. That he might grant them justifying faith to them only and thereby lead them without fail to salvation. Right? Faith that leads to glory. That's what Christ came to do. Um, and helpfully, the, the canons say, okay, in other words, what do we mean by that? It was God's will that Christ, through the blood of the cross, by which he confirmed the new covenant, should effectively redeem from every tribe and tongue and people and nation all those and only those who were chosen from eternity to salvation and given to him by the Father, that he should grant them faith, which like the Holy Spirit's other saving gifts he acquired for them by his death, that he should cleanse them from his blood, from all their sins, both original and actual, whether committed before or after their coming to faith, and that he should faithfully preserve them to the very end, and that he should finally present them to himself a glorious people without spot or wrinkle. Um, and so you see what, what they're doing. is They're saying, Jesus redeems. Um, and by that we mean he gives the faith that justifies Right, that was purchased by his death, just as, as all the other gifts of the Holy Spirit were purchased, saving gifts were purchased by his death. So he redeems, 
He gives us faith. Um, he cleanses us from our sins. Okay. And he knows, and they, they seem to know what we, we tend to do with these kinds of truths. Well, all my sins, like original sin and actual sin, yes, original sin and actual sin. Well, all my, I mean, before I believe, and then I've got to do something about the ones after I believe. No, before and after you believe, right? Making sure doesn't leave any room for the lawyer that lives in all of us, the old self, right? To make some argument for, oh, but wait, but wait. Um, all of our sins, original and actual, whether we committed them before we believed or after, um, Christ paid for all of those sins by his death on the cross, um, and that he should faithfully preserve them to the very end and present them to his Father in glory. Um, that's the whole, that's saving all the way. That's bringing God's people all the way home. That's the effectiveness of Christ's death. He buys for us that, that assurance. That his, his, he saves to the uttermost. Um, there's nothing lacking in his saving work. No place that it can go off the rails because he's committed to bringing his people home. Um, that's, that's the glorious truth that he, he prayed about. Um, John 17, 11, and 12. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your care, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them by your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I've, I've kept them, and now I'm going. You keep them um, until they come where I am and see my glory. That's, that's where the, the high priestly prayer goes. Um, that, that That's Jesus' desire, and surely his prayer to the Father is answered. He brings us all the way home. That's the saving efficacy of the death of Christ. Um, he brings us all the way home. Um, and so we don't have to, just as we don't have to wonder, you know, will the elect be saved? We don't have to wonder, will those for whom Christ died be presented in glory? Right? Is Christ the Savior or isn't he? And that's really where the, where the Belgic Confession leaves us. It says, you know, either Christ is a Savior or he's not. Um, and if he's not, if you say he's not a, a, a full Savior and you leave him to be only half a Savior, that is a monstrous blasphemy. To say that somehow he can't save you or he hasn't saved you to the uttermost or he does part of the saving and you do part of the saving. Um, no, he, he, brings us, he brings us all the way home because that was God's plan. That was Christ's plan to build a church. Right? That, that's, what, that's what Article 9 reminds us of. What was his plan? His plan was to build a church. Um, and and wh who are the church? They're everybody he's chosen from before the foundation of the world to be his church. He chose a church. Jesus came to save a church. And Jesus saved a church because that was the fulfillment of God's plan. I have a people. Um, and my people are not complete until all my people have been redeemed and brought home. And that was God's plan to build a people. We read that in Article 9. This plan arising of God's eternal love for his chosen ones from the beginning of the world to the present time 
has been powerfully carried out and will also be carried out in the future. The gates of hell seeking vainly to prevail against it. As a result of the chosen are gathered into one, all in their own time, and there is always a church of believers founded on Christ's blood, a church which steadfastly loves, persistently worships, and here and in all eternity praises him as her Savior who laid down his life for her on the cross as a bridegroom for his bride. This was God's plan, to build a church from every generation. Um, that's why we can be assured there is always a church in the world. Um, the Lord always leaves witness to himself in the world. Um, and why can we be so sure that this plan is going to come to fulfillment? Well, it's because we are not building ourselves into a church. Jesus is building a church. Right? Jesus is building a church. That's the glorious good news of, of, the, of the atonement. Jesus comes to save because he's the one who's building the church. We don't have to build it. Um, he's building it. And that's good news, especially for those of us in the church business. Um, because if I thought I built the church, um, it would be a very depressing endeavor. Um, because I know my own limits, right? We don't build the church. Jesus builds the church. And what does that mean? It means there will always be a church because he's always building it. Um, that it, it can't perish. The gates of hell can't prevail against it because he's building it. Um, it it's already had a foundation laid. And what, what is the foundation of the church that was laid? It's founded on his blood, we're told. Um, the cross of Jesus Christ is that sure foundation on which the church will be built. And he'll build his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Um, he said, the Father gave me a people, and of those people he's given to me, I will lose none of them. I will raise them up on the last day. Um, he doesn't lose the people that are entrusted to him. That's the encouraging thing. That's how we know the plan will come to fulfillment. Um, if God said to us, I've chosen them, now you go find them, we might worry that we had missed somebody. Um, we, we'd worry that we weren't doing the right thing to gather them. We, we would wonder why the gospel comes to this place at this time and doesn't come to another place at another time. We would think that maybe the plan is going wrong. Uh, maybe we failed to do what we should do, but we recognize, no, there are times where you want to go somewhere, you can't go somewhere, because the Lord is, is working where he works at his time. Um, Paul wanted to go to Asia. He couldn't go to Asia. The Holy Spirit was keeping him from going to Asia. Um, and so instead he went to Europe. Well, all of that is in God's plan. And that, that's a tremendous encouragement to us. That's how we know this church project is not going to fall apart. Because Jesus is building his church. Um, he builds it where and when he wants to build it. And there are times that we can't explain why the church seems to fail in one place and flourish in another. Um, but just as we don't always know why God is sovereignly doing what he's doing in our lives, we know who's doing it. Um, and that's the confidence we can have with the church as well. Why does it flourish here and seem to fail there? Why was the, the church in France at the time of the Reformation so strong and, has become, and was so persecuted and has become so weak? Why does that happen? We don't know. But we know who's building the church. We know it's not because the gates of hell have prevailed against it or because the plan has gone wrong. 
God made a plan to save a people. Jesus came into the world and saved a people, and he's gathering that people. Um, That's why the world goes on, because Jesus is gathering a people. That's in a profound sense why time marches on. Um, That's why when you look around at, you know, sometimes terrible events are happening and there's a tendency to say, come Lord Jesus. Um, You know, my my mom, who's now a grandmother, you know, she'll sometimes see things on the news and and just say, like, what kind of world are my grandchildren going to be living in? Um, is this the kind of place that we're that we're they're going to have to live in now, where these kinds of things go on? Um, if you grew up in the church, you probably didn't grow up in the church practicing active shooter drills, right? That that's something that's that's come later. Um, we didn't used to have to worry about certain things. Um, there, there were just things that we took a, took for granted as being true that are just not true anymore, um, and. We can sometimes say, well, you know, what's happening in the world? Is, is the church going to be able to be built in a world like this? Um, and the good news is we can look to all kinds of places like the church in China, and they would tell us, yeah, they're trying to wipe us out, but they're not going to. It's not, it's not going to work. It's never worked. In fact, usually what persecution has done is spread the church. It's like been trying to put water on a grease fire. It just spreads it out. Um, You can't really extinguish it. Why? Because the gates of hell are not strong enough for that. Um, It's not strong enough to stop what Jesus is doing in the world. He's gathering his people. He's gathering his people at his time. He's not pressed for time. Um, You know, someone pointed out once, you never read in the Gospels that Jesus ran from one city to another. You know, why? Because time worked for him. In the same profound sense, time works for his church. That's not an excuse for us to be lazy, but it's an encouragement to us that the Lord is doing his work. Right? And sometimes we say, you know, why, why have things come to this? You know, why, why, why is a church living in this kind of world? Well, it's because there are people in this kind of world that need Jesus. There are people in this kind of world for whom Jesus died, and he's not done collecting them yet. Um, in a profound sense, that's why the world has come at least this long. Um, you know, why, why didn't Jesus come 50 years ago? Well, because for, for some of us, Jesus said, well, I died for them and I haven't gathered them in yet. The world has to go on till they're, till they're born, until I work in them, till I gather them in. Um, and that, that, that can give us a profound sense of history is not moving along at a purposeless rate. When we say, come Lord Jesus, he's not, he's not up there waiting past his time. Um, he's working. He's gathering his church. And when we say, come Lord Jesus, he says, I will, but I've got some work I'm doing yet. Not all of our brothers and sisters are here yet. We have to get, be gathered all in till we can be one people. Um, and he's doing that from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There are people he still needs to gather in. And at one, one day, he'll say, now they're all here. Now they're all here. Everyone for whom I've died is here. Now we're a people. Now we're a church. Now we can go home. Right? We're not waiting for no good reason. That's what we have to know. God made a plan. He's fulfilled that plan. He's saved his people by the cross of Christ. And now Jesus is just doing the gathering in. 
in time and history of the people he saved. And if that doesn't encourage us in our evangelistic mission and in the mission of the church, nothing else will. Because everybody should always work with the, with the knowledge, there's someone out there who's the last Christian. Right? Now, we don't know who that, I'm not saying go out and find them, okay? I want to be understood. I'm not saying that they're, they're in our time. But it, it has to be the case, right? If Jesus died for a people, there has to come a time when all of his people are in. And we don't know when that time will be. But we know that there is some glorious day coming where some generation of the church will be living and someone will walk in the door who's the last one for whom Jesus died. And they will put faith and trust in Jesus and he'll say, now we're done. Because now we're all home. Right? That was the last sheep that was out there that needed to be gathered in. There's some generation of the church that's going to live in that day. It might be us. And so if that doesn't encourage us to talk to people about Jesus, to preach the gospel, to want to go to places like Italy and like Romania and to go to places where they've never heard the gospel and to encourage the work of the church wherever it's found, to go talk to our neighbors who are living in our country but don't speak the language, like go talk to them about the gospel. You know, just in our bulletin, we have all those reminders of where we're trying to get the gospel because the church in every generation is thinking somewhere out there is the last one that needs to come home. Somewhere out there is the last scattered sheep that needs to be brought in. Um, and one day, you know, the 99 that are left so the one can be found, the shepherd will come back with that last one and then we'll be done. He knows when that will happen. Um, but it's not for us to know the time or the seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority. He knows. He says, you don't know. So go talk to everybody like they're the last one. Go talk to the world like the last one's out there and the sooner we get them in, the sooner we go home, right? Um, you know, you, you try to motivate your kids that way sometimes. You know, the sooner we clean up, the sooner you get dessert. Um, maybe we can, you know, use that same motivation for us. Somewhere out there is, the, is, is that last brother or sister we need for the family to be complete. And, and the Lord essentially says to the church in every generation, get out there and find them. They're out there. Um, get out there and bring them in. Jesus died for them. Um, and every person that's gathered in can in a profound sense say, isn't it amazing that the whole history of the world has gone on like this because Jesus had to gather me in? Because I wasn't home yet. Time kept marching on. Um, and maybe there's someone, there's someone else out there that time is marching on for. But time is marching on for the church. And Satan can try to get in the way of that as much as he wants, but his work is all going to be in vain. Right? That church is going to be gathered, and necessarily everyone that comes in weakens his kingdom just that much more. Because all of the people that come in are people that have been turned out of his kingdom. Um, and so we should always be trusting that God has a plan. God is working his plan. Um, and every time someone comes to faith in Christ, we can say we're that much closer to glory. And that's how God wants us to live, um, feeling like that. Not that it's some, you know, what are we going to do in 100 years when um, some people talk like that. I like to think that we don't have to think about another 100 years. 
Now, I was able to bring, I'll close with this, but I was able to bring greetings to Escondido URC in the building of their new building. Um, and they, they followed the service that they had modeled in 1959 when they built their first building. And some of the families were still there, you know, and they thought, you know, and, and everybody's saying, I hope this will be a place where we can proclaim the name of Jesus for a long time. Um, and in that sense, we always hope that's true. But when you build a building, you hope it's the last building you have to build. Right? You hope that this is the last, you know, you begin the new year and think, I hope this is the last year of the Lord um, before his coming. That we need to live like the night is far gone and the day is at hand. The salvation is nearer now than we first believed. Um, it's even nearer now than when Paul said that 2,000 years ago. Um, and so we can live in the light of that hope. God is fulfilling his plan. Jesus is a savior. He'll save all those for whom he died. Um, so I took up my time. I didn't leave any time for questions. So I'm just going to close in prayer. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for helping us to see the glorious picture of the saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ, how he has died that he might save to the uttermost all of those whom you've given to him. We thank you that your electing plan is good, that out of your good and gracious will, you've freely chosen those who you will save, that Jesus came in time and history to save his people, and by his spirit he's continuing to gather them in. Lord, we pray for that great day when the church will be completed. We continue to pray for all the work of the church and calling out to the lost that they might be collected. Uh, we certainly hope we will live to see that day when the Lord returns in glory and will be changed in the twinkling of an eye that we might avoid death. But Lord, if, if the world should go on a, long, a lot longer to gather your church into one, we know that it won't be because you're not working or because you don't have a plan, but because Christ is building his church and how thankful we are that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So help us to be encouraged to continue to speak to people about Jesus and to hope to continue to bring in those lost souls who are truly our brothers and sisters in Christ. So help us in this and hear our prayers. We ask them in Jesus' name. Amen.